the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Good to be with you as always. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. If you'd like to join in to the festivities, you can also text into the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone or tweet at me 24-7-365 at saying center. That's saying with an E, not an A, center on Twitter, which, of course, we will be talking some about Twitter today. You can also email me a couple of ways to do that. One, via the 710KNUS website, 710KNUS.com. Just go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. You can also access the podcast for the show from there. And you can email me via my website, JimmySangenberger.com. Remember, there's no AI or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is E-Z. And, of course, if you go to JimmySangenberger.com, you can also access my latest columns for the Denver Gazette, Colorado Politics, and if I'm in any other publications, national or locally. And Jimmy's Bluesified Christmas Bumpers, best known to man. And I love when I go to events, you know, Republican Christmas parties, and I'm asked questions about the bumper music. And when somebody brings up how I have the best bumper music known to man at a Christmas party, it's just, it fills you full of holiday cheer for folks to be talking about the best bumper music known to man, especially the best Christmas bumper music. You go to JimmySangenberger.com, multiple links on the homepage where you can click to go to Jimmy's Bluesified Christmas Bumpers page and access the tunes. Be sure to check it out. Again, our telephone number, though, 303-696-1971. We've got lots that we will be talking about coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Do you remember when this happened? We played this audio a few months back over the summer. From May of this year. Do you remember when this happened? I want to know why the kids are leaving. Ain't nobody in Manuel's history ever said I'm leaving General TC. And I'm not going to let you take that bullet. And I get you trying to protect your employees, but sometimes grown men will have to answer to their grown choices. That is none other than Tay Anderson, beloved Denver Public Schools Board Vice President in May at a public meeting at Manuel High School where he and his colleague, Scott Esserman, the other at-large board member, berated an employee who, according to Tay Anderson, 
is a grown man who needs to answer for his grown choices. Well, we will talk with the man that he berated in that room, exclusively here in studio, a JROTC instructor for Denver Public Schools, Lieutenant Colonel Gordon Crawford, will be joining us throughout the 7 o'clock hour to talk about what happened there, which, by the way, was a clear violation of district policy and more. He'll be joining us, 7.05, in an interview you do not want to miss. We've got audio clips. We'll get full reaction again. This happened there. I want to know why the kids are leaving. Ain't nobody in manual's history ever said I'm leaving General TC. And I'm not going to let you take that bullet. And I get you trying to protect your employees, but sometimes grown men will have to answer to their grown choices. Mm. Public meeting, parents and students in there, banging that fist down. That's what it sounded like, right? We'll dive in in the next hour. Plus, the 8 o'clock hour, syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete has a thesis. He says that basically Biden is now at the point on the border where he's essentially continuing Trump border policies. That Biden is not weak on immigration at the border, but is Trump 2.0. And he's not looking at it from the perspective of It's a good thing either. He says he's Trump 2.0, and that's not really a good thing. What? We'll get take of Ruben Navarrete on that, plus the news. This week, this was very interesting. The development where Kirsten Sinema, the senior senator from Arizona, announced she's no longer a Democrat. I've registered as an Arizona independent. I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but... Actually, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. And so, like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done. Interesting, isn't it? Well, there are some on the left who would say, oh, she's finally admitting she's not really a Democrat. Leftists have been upset with Kirsten Sinema, but she's been a reliable Democrat on most issues, except for some subjects where she's sort of one of the rare voices of reason that we hear among Democrats in the legislature known as Congress. Now, practically speaking, It probably won't change too much in terms of how the Senate operates. She's going to continue to caucus with the Democrats, at least for the time being. If they take her off, she could hightail it out of there and just say, you know what, I'm going to caucus with the Republicans. Now, it becomes a little less meaningful to do that, though, because if we had a 50-50 Senate, if Herschel Walker had won instead of getting his rear end handed to him on Tuesday night, And letting Ralph Warnock become U.S. Senator, still remain U.S. Senator. If that hadn't happened, and we had a 50-50 split in the Senate, and she decided to leave the Democrat Party, start as an independent, and then at some point become a Republican, Republicans would get the majority. But of course, that's not what's going to happen, because it can't happen. 
unless cinema and somebody else were to break with the Democrats and move over with the Republicans. So practically speaking, you're not going to see major changes most likely in the United States Senate. But it is notable that you would have, for the first time since I think Joe Lieberman in 2006, somebody leave the Democrat Party, go to be an independent and make a big deal out of that. What does that say about the Democrats and the state of their party right now? Was she doing this simply for some kind of leverage? Was she doing this because she believes it's just the right thing to do? Was she fed up with the Democrat Party? Is she looking at the prospect of a reelection fight in 2024 where she doesn't want to be in a Democrat primary because she's not the odds on favorite? In fact, she probably would lose a Democrat primary. But running as an independent, if she decides to continue in office in the first place, well, that's something she could do. But if she does it, how likely is that incumbent to win? Well, certainly better than somebody who just decides I want to run as an independent. But I don't know. That is just a very interesting story. If you have any thoughts on that, 303-696-1971. Is it more significant than I am making out, making it out to be? Definitely offer your opinion. Now, the revelations we've gotten this week on Twitter over... The so-called Twitter files, now former New York Times columnist Barry Weiss, has been brought in as a reporter who put out, I think, the second batch of the Twitter files, and then Matt Taibbi came out a third time. And we now know that shadow banning is a real thing on Twitter which helps to indicate it may well be a real thing on Facebook. We also know the progression of how Donald Trump was removed from Twitter, what that decision-making process was. And we know that they were actively trying to censor. We knew this, but we didn't have the kind of evidence we have now for it. That whether it was through shadow banning or putting people on trends blacklists so that they wouldn't be able to trend on Twitter, etc. We've learned that they were specifically trying to selectively permit what kinds of discussions they wanted. If Twitter chose not to allow something, some sort of whether it's the Hunter Biden story, from the last three weeks of the 2020 election, or some other matter, they could throttle it. And as we now know as well, you had agencies like the FBI encourage Twitter to either suppress certain bits of information or presumably to amplify other bits of information. Now, this is interesting, particularly because it echoes things that we had heard before, including from Mark Zuckerberg. Remember this? We played this clip back in August. Mark Zuckerberg, CEO and founder 
of Facebook was on with Joe Rogan, and there was this little interesting exchange. There was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York yeah, Post. Yeah, we had too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey— um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. Be vigilant. Well, there's more that we have learned, even separate from the Twitter virals. Byron York over at the Washington Examiner in a piece entitled Twitter, the FBI and the First Amendment specifically talked about some of the exchanges between conversations that would go on between social media platforms like Twitter and agencies like the FBI. So there was a complaint that had been filed to the Federal Elections Commission concerning Twitter's action regarding the story of Hunter Biden's laptop and the Ukraine business dealings in the waning weeks of 2020, the election in 2020. Now, this complaint to the FEC dated from October of 2020, that same time period when the Post story, New York Post story was published. As Byron York writes, the complaining group was the Tea Party Patriots Foundation, which alleged that by censoring the Hunter Biden article, Twitter had essentially made an in-kind contribution to the Biden campaign. Now, that group, Tea Party Patriots Foundation, lost the complaint. But as part of the process, Twitter's chief censor, Yoel Roth, His actual title was Head of Site Integrity. That doesn't sound Orwellian. Filed a declaration with the FEC. In that declaration, Roth said that since 2018, he had had, quote, regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security, close quote. Roth revealed that in those meetings, the federal government officials said they were expecting some sort of 2016-style foreign election interference in the lead-up to the 2020 election. Here is what Roth said in its entirety as printed by Byron York. It's important to hear, quote, During these weekly meetings, the federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack-and-leak operations by state actors that might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely in October. I was told in these meetings that the intelligence community expected that individuals associated with political campaigns would be subject to hacking attacks, and that material obtained through those hacking attacks would likely be disseminated over social media platforms, including Twitter. These expectations of hack and leak operations were discussed throughout 2020. I also learned in these meetings that there were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. Byron York goes on to cite the interview we just played, that clip of Mark Zuckerberg 
talking about the FBI coming by their team and talking about this as well. Now, the the New York Post story, of course, was legitimate. And it was accurate about Joe Biden. And it was based on information from the laptop, not hacked material, by the way. But Roth at Twitter and the team at Facebook jumped into action and did what they could to stop the story cold. Here's the question, writes York. When it warned Twitter and Facebook, did the FBI or other law enforcement know that the New York Post was preparing to publish the Hunter Biden story? That is to say, did they know in advance that the New York Post was preparing to publish the Hunter Biden story? The Post's Miranda Devine wrote, in fact, quote, It looks very much as if the FBI pre-bunked a story it knew was coming about Hunter Biden. But how would it know the Post was going to publish the story in October 2020? Well, the FBI was spying on Trump's then-lawyer Rudy Giuliani's online cloud under the pretext of an investigation into alleged foreign agent registration violations, a probe which conveniently was dropped this year. The covert surveillance warrant on Giuliani gave the FBI access to emails in August 2020 from Delaware computer repair store owner John Paul Mac Isaac, disclosing information damaging to Joe Biden from the laptop Hunter Biden had abandoned at his store in April 2019. The FBI also had access to my messages with Giuliani in October, discussing when the Post would publish the story. And real quick, because we got to run to a break. As Byron York points out, if this is accurate, the authorities might have had a very specific purpose when they warned Roth that there were, quote, rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. And when the New York Post published its story on October 14th, 2020, less than three weeks before Election Day, Roth knew just what to do. And when you go to the Twitter files and the fact that we learned that Democrat Congressman Ro Khanna told Twitter at the time that the censorship decision that they had made, in his words, seems a violation of First Amendment principles and seems not in keeping with the principles of New York Times v. Sullivan, Twitter obviously went ahead anyway and continued with this. What's disturbing about this is the coordination, apparent, with government agencies, but that shouldn't be too surprising, given, remember, in February of this year, Jen Psaki, the now former White House press secretary, said exactly what the Biden team was doing in the administration. Our hope is that all major tech platforms and all major news sources, for that matter, be responsible and be vigilant to ensure the American people have access to accurate information on something as significant as COVID-19. That certainly includes Spotify. So this disclaimer, it's a positive step, but we want every platform to continue doing more to call out mis- and disinformation while also uplifting accurate information it's a positive step call out mis and disinformation and push out correct information or whatever she said there says all you needed to know of course biden wasn't president in 2020 that was trump 
But we do know that the FBI and other agencies of the government have not been so friendly to Donald Trump and to other Republicans. Does Biden really need to be president to be concerned, for us to be concerned about what the FBI or other government agencies may have done in October of 2020? We'll pick up the conversation on that more. Give us a call. What do you make of this? 303-696-1971. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, and you are listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710 KNUS. And grooving back on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710 KNUS, Keb Moe doing the tune, Merry, Merry Christmas, as we continue. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. Before we continue, a quick programming note that I will be filling in for George Brockler this coming Wednesday, December 14th. From 6 to 10 in the morning right here on News Talk 710-KNUS. We'll put together a great show and we'll see what the news brings us this week that we need to focus on. But we'll be all over it on top of everything this coming Wednesday morning 6 to 10 when I fill in for George Brockler. 303 696 1971 is our telephone number if you want to join in to the festivities. So we now know one thing that is true that conservatives have been saying that was written off based on things that have happened in social media. Where conservatives said that they were concerned about something called shadow banning. It was dismissed, of course, by the media as another one of those right-wing conspiracy theories. Sometimes there are right-wing conspiracy theories that are just that. Other times they're legit. And this one was so frequent that you had to at the very least wonder what was being done. Where some people's tweets were being blocked, it seemed, not visible, people weren't coming up in searches, so on and so forth. Well, as Kaylee McGee White points out at the Washington Examiner. Elon Musk revealed the second part of his Twitter files, and it confirmed what many had long suspected. The platform actively suppressed the accounts of prominent conservatives, quote, preventing disfavored tweets from trending and actively limiting the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics all in secret without informing users. According to documents and details released by journalist Barry Weiss, users who questioned COVID-19 policies, including school shutdowns, were put on a trends blacklist that prevented their tweets from trending. Other prominent conservative commentators, such as Dan Bongino and Charlie Kirk, were slapped with do not amplify and search blacklist labels 
The popular Libs of TikTok account was suspended repeatedly and prevented from posting despite internal admission from Twitter officials that she hadn't violated any of its policies. Musk also also confirmed when asked directly that Twitter's shadow banning affected political candidates while they were running for office. It's not hard to guess which political party those candidates belong to. Here is the bigger concern. If Twitter wants to do whatever they want to in terms of speech on platforms, sure. That's their right as a privately owned platform. I mean, it's publicly traded, but it's a private company. It's their right. But, of course, they should be transparent in their policies and how they are approaching such things, number one. And number two, even more concerning, this is when the First Amendment actually comes into play. So generally speaking, the First Amendment is irrelevant on Twitter because it is a platform that can make its own rules and decide whether or not to allow people to be on there or whether to throttle certain topics or whatnot, they have that right. But when the government gets involved, that's when the First Amendment can come into play. As Professor Jonathan Turley has pointed out, law professor at George Washington University. He said, some of us, have been raising concerns over Twitter's massive censorship system for years, including what I called, Turley, the emergence of a shadow state, where corporations carry out censorship that the Constitution bars the government from doing. And the whole idea, the whole question he's raised and I raised a long time ago, is to what extent is the government, the all-knowing, all-powerful federal government, Going to folks at Twitter, at Facebook, etc., and saying, we need you to combat mis- and disinformation. To what extent are they doing that? And to what extent would those platforms not do so otherwise, if not approached by the government? And in the last segment, we were breaking down how the FBI on Hunter Biden's laptop went to Twitter and Facebook and other platforms and preempted, apparently preempted, the New York Post's story and said, watch out for this. We are worried that this is part of hack and leak, so on and so forth. More evidence of that kind of coordination. But then we had February of this year. It's a clip I played at the time. Jen Psaki, then White House press secretary. Our hope is that all major tech platforms and all major news sources, for that matter, be responsible and be vigilant to ensure the American people have access to accurate information on something as significant as COVID-19. That certainly includes Spotify. So this disclaimer, it's a positive step, but we want every platform to continue doing more to call out mis- and disinformation while also uplifting accurate information it's a positive step call out more mis and disinformation and she wanted the administration explicitly wanted them to push out the good stuff the stuff they approve now that kind of coordination is at the very least untoward but much more likely unconstitutional Because basically what we have being done here in this instance is 
the federal government doing something through a platform like Twitter, like Facebook, that it wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Because the First Amendment protects the freedom of speech. And that kind of coordination between government and private industry is not allowed. That is not permissible. Clearly, there was encouragement on the part of the government, of the feds, to highlight certain types of content and diminish other types of content. This is much more than something to do with candidates running for election. This is about the discourse that is happening online. Again, a company like Twitter has the right to make its own judgment about speech, etc. But when the all-knowing, all-powerful federal government gets involved, that's a different story. It is a concern that we on this program have been expressing for years. And it's exactly why back in February I was playing that Saki clip, and back in August I was playing that Zuckerberg clip. 303-696-1971. Let's go to Joe in Arvada. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Good morning, Jimmy. Merry Christmas. Jimmy, I think you've got to characterize it a little different. Merry Christmas to you, too. A little bit different. Okay. It wasn't just it wasn't just the FBI kind of oh decided to meet with Twitter on the Hunter laptop story. Mm-hmm. They reveal that Twitter was meeting with the FBI every week. Yes. To discuss what they were going to censor. And not just the FBI, not only that, Department of Homeland Security, not Department only that. of uh, D- Director of National Intelligence, that group, like there were a number of different federal government agencies they were regularly meeting with. Absolutely. That's that's the other thing is it wasn't just the FBI, it was the Department of mm-hmm. National Intelligence, it was also Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there. when we get deeper into it, we're going to find out that it was also all of these health, these health uh, regulators that were going to get, you know, this is what you censor, this is what you take out. I'm sure the Fauci office is going to come into play, or well, at least hey, their surrogate. Joe, Joe, the White House itself could have. Listen again, I'll play it again. Our hope is that all major tech platforms and all major news sources, for that matter, be responsible and be vigilant to ensure the American people have access to accurate information on something as significant as COVID-19. That certainly includes Spotify. So this disclaimer, it's a positive step, but we want every platform to continue doing more to call out mis- and disinformation while also uplifting accurate information. Yeah. It's a positive step, but there's more that can be Referencing Spotify was because that's the platform that has Joe Rogan on there. So do, we don't need to hear further to, to prove that, that something was going on as far as communication between government officials and social media platforms and other streaming services, etc., uh, regarding COVID-19, Joe. There you go. But, Jimmy, Jimmy, here's something that, that I think you got to understand. This was being done under the nose of Donald Trump. Yes. You see, this was before the election. Some of it was the, before the uh, election. A, a about, lot, a lot of it after the election. The gens. Mm-hmm. Just a second. Just mm-hmm. a second. Let me finish my statement. Go this ahead. wasn't being done just after the election. 
these people, including the FBI, were meeting with Twitter and with other organizations. Google, yes, Google, and yes, they were also meeting with other Facebook, uh, Facebook organizations before the 2020 election. Don't cut me off here. They, these people were deciding who to censor before the election. Remember, the Hunter Biden laptop story came out before the election. This was being done without any uh, a notification of Donald Trump, and it was being done by the three-digit agencies in the government. This, Jimmy, is not just collusion, not just, uh, you know, some advice. It is sedition. Make no mistake, this is a prosecutable offense for the rest of their lifetimes. So they I'm, I'm not going to conspire. I'm not going to go there to, to sedition. Defeat Joe. the president of the United States with government intervention of Twitter, Google, and Facebook. And you need to get it clear because you're carrying their water if you deny it. Okay, I am not there with you on sedition. Is it untoward, unconstitutional? Sure, but in terms of that, that sedition word is a massive word under the penalty of death, most likely. Uh, You know that is that is something. When when we look at this situation, we're talking about a presidential election in that case, and you know interfering in an election. I mean, that's that's what they could have be, could be. You could be saying that they were doing in terms of uh, going to Twitter, going to Facebook, and it saying, "Hey, fraud, this is what you need Jimmy. to do." Uh, but in Jimmy. terms of in terms of sedition, you got to get to a big standard to get to there, Joe. But you know what? You hit on Jimmy. something. You hit on something very very important, and that is that when we are getting at. Issues of government engagement with social media platforms, that needs to be looked at. Not just looked at, but you do need to. I will give Joe this. There needs to be a very close examination legally of what they did, what statutes may have been violated, and what that means legally for potential prosecution. Well, I don't think it reaches that standard of sedition. I do think that there may be laws violated. And that's something they need to look into. Now, of course, you're not going to get that with the Biden Justice Department, especially with the Biden Justice Department being called to investigate themselves. But there certainly are a lot of issues that would need to be examined legally from that standpoint. And we'll have to see what happens. We are long overdue for a break. We'll pick up the conversation. On the other side, you're listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. I wish I could play the blues harmonica, the harmonica period, like John Popper of Blues Traveler. That's who's right there, along with the voc- doing the vocals. And Eric Clapton on the lead guitar, too. This is called Christmas Blues. By the way, you can get this tune. You can make it possible to listen to it by going to 
jimmysangenberger.com slash bluesified Christmas or just jimmysangenberger.com and you can click the button to get there with all the best Christmas bumper music known to man. There's Eric Clapton on that get fiddle. Gotta love it as we continue wrapping up this hour. By the way, speaking of harmonica, December 30th, Dakota Tavern in Parker, 7.30 p.m., be there for the penultimate party of the year as the Jimmy Jr. Blues Band performs 7.30 to 11.30. Gotta love when guitar and harmonica trade off as well. We do that a little bit. In the Jimmy Jr. Blues Band, we will be performing again Dakota Tavern December 30th. That is in Parker. Good to be with you as always, we are wrapping up the first hour, flying right on by in the second hour. Remember this summer when we shared what happened in Manual High School in Denver Public Schools in May of this year? Here's a little snippet from Mr. Vice President Tay Anderson. I want to know why the kids don't even. Ain't nobody in Manual's history ever said I'm leaving General TC. And I'm not going to let you take that bullet. And I get you trying to protect your employees, but sometimes grown men going to have to answer to their grown choices. Sometimes grown men going to have to answer for their grown choices. We'll talk with the grown man he was referring to, Lieutenant Colonel Gordon Crawford, who is a JRT, JROTC instructor in DPS and was really the villain of this meeting in May of this year, a public meeting featuring parents and students, Tay Anderson and Scott Esserman, both the at-large school board members in DPS. Because that's what you do when you're slaving up in DPS is you berate a teacher in public. Hmm. We'll talk with Lieutenant Colonel Gordon Crawford exclusively on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. In the next hour, he's in studio. Stay with us. Don't miss it. News Talk 710 KNUS. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.